Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Monday, May 4th, 2020. So, Drew, how have you been spending your Star Wars day? Well, I've just been working. I went to the grocery store, as you know, and that was that was my own, you know, journey to a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> and I, I'm really ex- I haven't watched um, Star Wars Gallery, The Mandalorian yet. So I'm looking forward to watching that with my wife later today. Um, it's, it's excellent. Yeah. In fact, it's kind of ironic because Taika Waititi is a, this very first one is about uh, the directors and he's a big chunk of it. And of course, we. We just had that news about Taika, what is it, he's going to co-write or write yeah. and direct? Co-write and direct a new feature, yes. Mm-hmm. Did you notice whose quotes were not in that press release, Jim? Uh, Kathleen? Yes, okay. yes. All right, that is a little interesting. Yeah, <laughs> watch that space is what I'll say, yeah. Okay, so I, I guess the question here is, because face it, Taika's got Thor Love and Thunder teed up. In fact, what was he? He was just talking uh, last month there about about how I guess his is the only film on the planet that's not put off schedule by COVID-19. They're still going to be in production when they're supposed to begin. In fact, did they just move up the release date by like a week? Well, I mean, they moved it back because it was originally, you remember this one was supposed to be uh, November of 2021. That's right. And okay. uh, Doctor Strange 2, in the shuffle, Doctor Strange mm-hmm. 2 took that spot. So now okay. um, this will be in February of 2022. And mm-hmm. that's going to be a big year for Marvel because you've also got uh, Captain Marvel 2 and Black Panther 2. Yeah. Um, so I'll really have to redo that list, Jim, for, for Collider pretty soon with all these movies coming out. <laughs> Yeah, speaking of which, yeah, thank you. Is that 50 movies that you did? So, 45, uh, Jim. It took oh. me so long. <laughs> it was a great article, but again, as I told you, it's like, thank you. Now another 100 hours of film that I have to go watch. But <laughs> um, and, Well, speaking of things we had to watch just last night, the second half of season four of Rick and Morty debuted on uh, Adult Swim. So did we watch... Yes, of course, Jim. I stayed up late. I'm a I'm dedicated to watching the the episode and to talking about it on the show. And yeah, it was it was it was pretty friggin' meta. You're right. It was <laughs> it was it was, it was oh. up it was up its own ass like few you know animated I, shows ever have been. And that's that's the thing. I honestly feel bad. I mean, you and I talk about Rick and Morty all the time because we, we we enjoy the writing, we enjoy the attitude. Right now, this show, if you're just coming through the door and you you grab a random episode from this point in the show's life, there, there's just no way you will understand anything. Yeah. You know? I mean, very smart, and, very smart, mm, but... Right, but conversely, though, I mean, think about it. You know, that you and I were talking about uh, back in February when Star Wars Clone Wars, the, the last episode of that, Ran on on Netflix season six in 2014. Right. They dropped all the episodes in March. And so here we are six years later and the show starts up again. And I I remember you and I, I think it was mostly me complaining about the fact you looked at those first couple of episodes and it was just this whole notion of they were so inside baseball and it's just sort of like, how is anybody walking through the door going to hook up with this show? Yeah, I agree. 
But here's the thing, you know, I just this morning, I'm not sure why we were up as early as we were, but Nancy and I were up at like 5.30 this morning, and I had the computer fired up by 6, so I could then watch Victory and Death, the final episode of season 7. And I have to say that, you know, I was completely wrong about this. Dave Filoni and his team, they started with like the Bad Batch episodes and, you know, dealing with the clones, and it's like... There's no way that anybody's going to get hooked in the show. And and seriously, again, I'm up at six in the morning because I want to see how this plays out. Because especially the last four were so incredibly well done. Yeah. And they really went out on top, I got to say. Uh-huh. I agree. I agree. And then it's interesting, too, to think, because you watched Rebels as well, right? Yeah. So how, how many of these plot threads kind of continued or were resolved in Rebels between... Obi-Wan ultimately killing Maul on Tatooine or Mm -hmm. Ahsoka going out in search of Ezra. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of things that it was sort of interesting because it it was there was resolution, but there wasn't like it didn't wrap everything up because we've had these other adventures. Mm -hmm. And especially with the, you know, revelation that Rosario Dawson is going to play Ahsoka in Mandalorian season two. You know, this character and this world have a lot have a lot to offer still. Very much so. Very much so. But at the, the same time, the, the irony is, as soon as I finished watching that, I then went over to The Rise of Skywalker just basically to watch the the 15 minutes that I'd missed when Nancy and I went and saw it in theaters because I fell asleep. And, you know, the irony is that these last four episodes of Clone Wars were so much more entertaining and, and so much better storytelling then the rise of Skywalker. Correct. You know, what, I mean, what I, part did you fall asleep in? I fell asleep again. I apologize. Spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen the film yet. But remember when Kylo Ren and Ray are are having the duel on the party planet, and they end up. This is where Ray first learns that maybe she she has Emperor like powers and blows yes. up the shuttle. Yes. And then there's that whole weird left turn where the only way they can find out what's written on the dagger is to go to this different planet and basically erase C-3PO's memory, which then is immediately negated, isn't it? You know, by going like some other. That was the chunk I fell asleep during. I I think I, I woke up as they were flying up, having secured the captain's disc and we're going to go up to Kylo Ren's Star Destroyer and try to rescue Chewie. But it was just one of these things where it's like... Did you rewatch the whole movie? No, no, no. I literally just watched that 15 minutes because the thing is, Nancy gave me for Christmas the remote control Dio, you know, and and it was this whole thing of, it's a great toy, but you you don't understand where he comes into the movie or the significance of him. So now I know. And it's like, on the other hand, I will never get those 15 minutes back. Anyway, but again, I did that this morning, caught up on all the Star Wars stuff that dropped for May the 4th. But this past weekend, made it through all eight episodes of Prop Culture. You put up some pretty positive stuff about that on Twitter, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I I really liked it. Um, I haven't gotten through all of them yet, so Mm -hmm. you're going to have to tell a story about Mary Poppins, Jim. Um, But I I watched with Katie. I watched... Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Honey, I Shrunk mm-hmm. the Kids, mm-hmm. um, and Nightmare Before Christmas and Tron. So okay. I'm halfway through. Um, but okay. yeah, I, I'm loving it. Yeah. Well, I will say this much. This series of, of documentaries 
are so well put together, so entertaining that, uh, look, I, I will flat out say this. I hated the Chronicles of Narnia films, you know, that Disney made, I, uh, largely because they were kind of a cynical move on Michael Eisner's part. Do you remember when they got announced? I mean, there was literally this two-page spread in USA Today that Disney has acquired the film rights with Walden Media to make the Chronicles of Narnia film. It was so nakedly a... Please look away from the Save Disney movement, you know, and and more to the point, it's like the Harry Potters, you know, I think they were two films in at that point and were basically printing money. And it's like, okay, this hopefully will be our Harry Potter. We'll get at least five movies out of this. Yeah. And two, and that's two movies later, Jim, and they're out. Well, in fact, do you remember that? I mean, literally, what is it? The, the Blu-ray DVD had come out for... Prince Caspian. As the story was explained to me, they had literally sent lumber down to Baja, California to, they were going to shoot Voyage of the Dawn Treader there in the tank that James Cameron's Titanic was shot in. And I mean, the lumber's there. They're committed to beginning production and it's December of 2008. And they look at the sales for Caspian and go, "Mm, no, no, we're going to get out of this business. You know, that then Fox came along, I guess, in January of 2009 and agreed to pick up the series. But even they bailed after Dawn Treader, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but anyway, to say how much, how entertaining, how well put together prop culture is, after watching the Chronicles of Narnia thing, it made me think, you know, maybe I was too hard on those films. Maybe I have to circle back on them. Because it just, you know, the way Dan presented the props and the costumes gave me pause. On the other hand, I love what he did. Uh, you were talking about the Roger Rabbit thing. I love his interview with Christopher Lloyd. And, you know, him talking about when he killed the shoe in the film, that that was supposedly his favorite moment because it showed you how evil Judge Doom was. Or, Or for that matter, the wonderful story that Andreas Deja told about how every so often, don't get me wrong, Bob Hoskins did a masterful job as Eddie Valiant. But every so often, the sight lines wouldn't match up. And so Andreas would do things, get moments like that, like have Roger stand on the tip of his toes so he was in the right sight line. Um, That was so great. And also, you know, we've talked about this before, but having Mike Giambo and Chris Buck talk about the original version of Roger Rabbit. That was so cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, when he revealed what? That the suspender outfit actually came from the cover of Gary Wolf's book. So Yeah. uh, But uh, anyway... Trust me, folks, again, if you're looking for something fun to watch while we're all still in quarantine. Well, but Jim, do you have any props? Ah, okay. Uh, Yes. Well, actually, it's Nancy who acquired this. And basically what this is, is for the Ink and Paint Club sequence of the movie. Well, one of the things they actually show in the Roger Rabbit episode of Prop Culture is they show the large rubber uh, Roger Rabbit that they'd bring on set. You know, so again, the actors could, okay, this is how tall Roger is. This is where he's standing in the shot and get your sight line and then pull it out. But for the ink and paint club, they didn't do the rubber figures. What they did are, are cut out pieces of plywood. So they, they did pieces of plywood that were the right height for the penguins. And then they did uh, pieces of plywood that were the right height for Daffy. 
and Donald uh, to use on stage for the dueling piano sequence. And the way it was explained to me that one of the animators who's working with Richard Williams over in London, uh, that's you know primarily where the animation unit for Roger Rabbit was located, that unit broke up and they, they then went to work for uh, Walt Disney Studios in Florida, the fish tank thing at uh, Disney MGM. Uh, they took this with them and at some point offered it to Nancy who bought it and now Donald is standing in the upstairs hallway at our house. Only every so often I run into him, and, and he's just the right height to, to really gouge you bad. Well, I, we're uh, going to need photos of this, Jim, so all right, please, all right, please I, take I, some I, shots. Okay, we'll throw it up on Twitter just ahead of this, this show going live. Have you seen this guy's Instagram account, speaking of social media? Like, the amount no, of I, stuff he has? No, I have not. Some I truly I, enviable... I, I've never really understood the prop collection sort mm-hmm. of game, but yep. he's got some pretty amazing stuff. He's got the Bat Gremlin from Gremlins 2 and things like oh that. My yeah, God. Yeah, pretty cool. But again, something to stress here that... that and in fact, he talks about on the show during the Tron episode that the toughest part about the prop collecting business is you'll see an item... And in fact, they actually go to an auction house, don't they? That That it's found a... Uh, what is it? The the, the Tron yeah. throwy ball yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a very technical term, folks. Yes. The, the Tron yeah. throwy ball thing. And he's like, I've only ever seen one of these before. But he talks about how props, you know, will go into people's private collections and never be seen again. And what a shame it is. And in, uh, in fact, to, to give Dan a lot of credit, there's this, this great story that they tell in the Mary Poppins episode where... I guess the way this works, there was a chocolate company that cut a deal with Disney during the original release of Mary Poppins. And they had three different levels of prizes. But the top prize, if you won this competition, was you got the carpet bag, the actual carpet bag from Mary Poppins, with $10,000 in it. Whoa. So what ends up happening is that there was this guy who won the competition. So the head of the advertising company goes to his home with the bag and the money. And the guy goes, look, nothing personal here, but I just want the money. I don't want the bag. And so the advertising exec takes the bag home, puts it in the attic, and it sits there for 30 years. And eventually, you know, a family member or thereabouts, you know, realizes what this is. And uh, word gets out to the, you know, the prop collecting community. And what's kind of interesting is Dan and a couple of other collectors decided you know, it kind of a great Indiana Jones type moment, you know, to the effect of this belongs in a museum. And so what they did is they bought the carpet bag and then gave it to the Walt Disney Archive. So the fact that, you know, again, there were, you and I both know, there are creepy prop collectors out there. And oh, yeah. Dan, Dan doesn't seem to be that. Anyway, go check that out. On, on the other hand, you pointed out that, uh, Brad Bird is now taking over hosting the Essentials over at Turner Classic, right? Yeah, I thought that was really cool. He's he's doing it every Saturday night. Of course, I missed uh, this week. So, did you see? I it? did as well. Uh, no, it's, oh, okay. and it was it was singing in the rain. You know, yeah, so like, yeah. Ah. I, I would but, love to hear his insights, and you know. I'm a huge bird fan. I know Nancy is mm-hmm. ready to leave uh, leave you, you for Brad Bird at <laughs> the drop of a yeah, hat. The, yeah, pretty much that, that we have an understanding. Okay, okay, good. 
I think I've told this story that if I, if I'm run over in traffic and laying there, you know, spread across several lanes and, and Brad Bird is walking up the street and the side, Nancy has permission to step over me and go right. to, you know, <laughs> like, you know, maybe wave to me as she, she runs off right. you know, toward Brad Bird. But, uh, but yeah, Singing in the Rain was this past Saturday night, uh, coming up on this coming Saturday night, May 9th. Is the Billy Wilder Ace in the Hole? Which love that uh, movie, love that oh, movie. But it's so cynical. I mean, it's got yeah. an amazing performance by Kirk Douglas, but it's so, you know, oh god, just beyond cynical. And then the week after that, we get Buster Keaton's The General, which I love any chance of seeing that. Though, to be honest, you know, better to see it on a big screen. But he's doing this all the way. Through January of 2021. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, the last film that's scheduled is uh, The Music Man from 62. There's a surprising number of musicals. Interesting. Interesting, isn't it? Since he's supposedly working on a musical right now. Is he really? Yes, yes. Oh, okay. I I don't know how much I can say about it, but he's he's definitely working on a musical with with Michael Giacchino. So, yeah. Ooh, 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 okay. So we might be, we might have to watch these to kind of get clues as to what, what that is. You know what I mean? Okay, because he's got guys and dolls in there. Yeah. He's got started with Singing of, in the Rain. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I, well, speaking of, of folks who direct for Pixar, we have uh, the news about Josh Cooley. So this is, uh, this is a Transformers movie, but it's an animated Transformers animated movie. Animated prequel set on Cybertron. Mm-hmm. Which I did you you saw Bumblebee right? Well, yeah, yeah. So I, I imagine it'll kind of have that look of the first five minutes of that movie. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now you were kind of hoping that they go back to ILM. Yeah, because it's Paramount and E One, and and they're neither really. I mean, Paramount has an animation studio, but we haven't really. They they have Skydance Animation um, mm-hmm. primarily, which we haven't even seen a movie from them yet. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if ILM is going to do the whole movie like Rango or Strange Magic. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've been doing the all the Transformers movies since the first Michael Bay movie. Mm-hmm. And I think they've only gotten better and better. I loved Bumblebee. So I think that would be really cool. You know, they did Rango. They did Strange Magic. So mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like they could pull it off. And I feel like that would be a great fit with Josh and his sensibilities. Now, speaking of which, you talked about Bumblebee, which, of course, was directed by Travis Knight from Laika. And Bumblebee was released to theaters back in December of uh, 2018. And then we got Missing Link, which I got. Did you see the piece Deadline did last week about the biggest money losers for uh, 2019? And, yes. and the fifth on the list was actually uh, Missing Link, I guess. Yeah, that, didn't that surprise you a little bit? I, I can't believe that it even cost $100 million, let alone lost $100 million. Yeah, I know. Conversely, though, uh, what's kind of cool, and especially, uh, let me be completely upfront here, folks. I really want Leica to stay in business. I love what they do. I've been on board since Coraline. And, you know, I think you and I have talked about Paranorman a bunch of times, you know, just sort of, you know, what a wonderful film that is. So we want these guys to stay in operation, but you know, I, I want to stress here, there's so many of the entertainment companies that have put their salves on furlough and reduced salaries and that sort of thing. But did you see what, what Leica did? No. Um, what did they do? 
Well, that animation studio was supposed to stay closed through May 1st. And and face it, we're in this weird situation where different states are opening at different times and so on and so forth. But what Leica did is all of their employees, which were sent home, were paid in full and kept full benefits. The whole notion is that, yeah, okay, we're, we're facing a bad time, but it's not your fault. And so go home and don't worry about salary. Don't worry about your health benefits. And when you can get back here, you can get back here. So um, so what you're telling me is it's good to have Daddy Nike came in and wrote a check for everybody. What I, <laughs> I just, whatever it takes to keep <laughs> that studio making movies. I, you know, I, I agree. It, it, I agree. Uh, by the way, if, if we're being completely fair here, the number one money loser for 2019 was X-Men Dark Planet. That What did they say? That lost uh, $133 million for, I guess, split between 20th Century Fox and Disney. Did you ever see it? I did not. It, it's, it's miserable, Jim. It is absolutely, it's, yeah. I think I would rather have elective, like, <laughs> dental surgery than have to watch that movie again. Well, which brings us to our next topic of things that people aren't watching uh, okay, I always pronounce this wrong. Quibi? Quibi. Quibi, Quibi. Don't Quibi. quibble. Just Quibi. watch Don't Quibi. quibble about Quibi. Yeah. Quibi. Okay, all right. Is is what I'm reading true that this thing already? I mean, it's five minutes old. How can it lose a, a half a billion dollars? Yeah. Well, did you see it already dropped out of the top 100 apps downloaded on uh, Apple? I oh. like to keep up with that because I thought it was hilarious what was ahead of it. But now it's not even in the top 100 Again, refresh everyone's memory. <laughs> it was behind an ASMR app that where you would slice cubes of sand, Jim, for relaxation purposes, was ahead of Quibi, the billion-dollar investment from Katzenberg and a whole bunch of gullible people. All right. But, but again, let's be fair here. The whole conceit of this is this is television for very busy people, right? The idea is that they were supposed to watch these five to ten minute long shows on their phones. Then there was the pandemic and we all went home and sat on our couches and watched The Wire, you know, the entire show. Or, <laughs> or, or played Animal Crossing. Yeah, well, there's that too. Yeah. And that was the thing, you know, that nobody was on their phone. So this stumbled straight out of the gate. And so Katzenberg has been upfront about this, you know, the effect of, you know, if he had his story this, they wouldn't have gone ahead with the launch in the middle of a pandemic. But I actually think, you know, that the idea of having it only be on your phone is a good idea for kids mm-hmm. today because they're always they've always got their phone out and they're doing something else, right? They're watching something on TV, mm-hmm. they're looking at something online. I think it just speaks to the quality of the shows and the lack of because mm. uh, you know at one point it was supposed to be that when you would turn the phone from ninety degrees upright, mm. that it would actually change the format of the show, like mm. there were it would change your point of view or it would be a different angle or something. But that seems to, like, not have been implemented hardly at all. Um, And I think the shows just suck and nobody's interested in them. And even if you're (laughs) – they're making all these efforts to put them on TV and to have a YouTube channel. And it's, like, it's already admitting defeat if you're you're not sticking to your guns. You also saw that, like, the head of marketing has already left. Like, I mean, this is, like, Hindenburg-esque folly. But didn't this just launch? Are we four weeks in? I, how well, long that's ago the amazing thing, Jim, is he, there is supposedly years of content 
ready for this thing. Oh. So God knows where it's going to go. There's a quibby version of the fugitive, Jim. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a friend that said, yeah, you know, when it's done, it's just going to be like on regular TV or whatever, or soul syndicated or whatever. I mean, there's nothing special about this. So I wonder if the remaining hours of tele, if this thing, just, if, it, if, it, if Quibi just closes tomorrow, where mm-hmm. all this stuff is going to go? You know, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's kind of an interesting question. Well, speaking of where things are going to go, what do you make of last week's Trolls World Tour debacle? Uh, and, yeah. and, and and let me explain. When I, I say debacle, well, first of all, you know, Universal started off the week with what they thought was good news. You know, they were talking about what? The Trolls World Tour that debuted the, the 6th of April, I want to say. Yeah. Right before Easter. Uh, went the premium video on demand route, and uh, Jeff Shell, CEO of NBC Universal, comes out and proceeds to. I think we we talked about this in early show. They had said that they had the best one day gross and then best weekend, but you know no data to back that up. But with I want to say a piece for Variety, they came out and said, look. You know, we, inside of three weeks on video on demand, we made as much as the original Trolls made in 2016 during a five-month-long theatrical release. Right. And I want to say his name is Adam Aaron, uh, who's the gentleman in charge of the AMC Theaters. And he just kind of lost his mind over this. You know, the fact that uh, here was Jeff Schell not only touting you know, the numbers that Trolls World Tour had done, but announcing, what, the Pete Davidson project, the uh, yes. King of Staten Island. And I just got a press release today that The High Note, which is a movie with Tracy Ellis Ross mm-hmm. um, and Dakota Johnson, is actually going to be on VOD the same way in June. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. But basically what happened is that AMC said, okay, since Universal is not respecting the theatrical release window. AMC will no longer support Universal Films. They won't show them. And, and given that what AMC is the largest theater cinema chain in, in North America, that hurt. Then right behind that, Cineworld, which owns Regal, which is the second uh, most popular or, or largest number cinema chain in North America, they said they would stand by Universal. And then I guess the European Theaters Owner Union came in and... There was all of this noise about, you know, oh boy, this is bad. And then uh, toward the end of the week, there were all these people like, this isn't going to happen. Yeah. Because, you know, face it, next year, inside of one three-month-long period, there's what, Fast and Furious 9, Jurassic World Dominion, and Minions Rise of Gru. Yeah. Three films that are, are virtually guaranteed to make a billion dollars, and when you really turn a profit on how you know you know it's not even the ticket sales it it's come in and buy the five dollar soda and the ten dollar tub of popcorn this is all talk this isn't actually going to happen right yeah i mean i also thought it was really interesting because the amc city walk which is at universal (laughs) and the one that i go to a lot Uh uh-huh it's it went through this like 10-month-long, multi-million-dollar renovation. Yep. And yep. you go upstairs, and I remember doing the tour when mm-hmm. it was, when it was like, right about to open, and they said, you see this Starburst chandelier? It's supposed to emulate the, the light coming from behind the globe and the opening of the Universal logo. 
I mean, that is how universal this wow. AMC is. Okay. And for them to say, like, oh, we're closing it down, it's like, well, are you? Are you telling me there's not going to be a package to see the new Jurassic World and then to ride the Jurassic World ride in the park? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding yeah. me? Are you kidding yeah. me? Come on. Yeah. yeah. I, while, while we're talking about future releases, so this past Friday, Disney announced that a live-action version of Ron Clements and John Musker's Hercules from 97 – Kind of interesting who, who's producing this one. The Russo brothers, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, Joe and Anthony. Did you watch Extraction yet on Netflix? I, it, it, it is on my list. Unfortunately, again, I have this friend, Drew Taylor, who wrote this immense story about all the superhero movies that I have to rewatch. So I, I have to go through the earlier Chris Hemsworth work before I can get to the new stuff. But I heard it's amazing. More to the point, he was just yesterday acknowledging it's the largest success for a streamed film, right? Yeah, so. yeah. It's like the most watched Netflix movie ever or mm-hmm. something. So yeah, I think uh, doing Hercules would be pretty pretty cool. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I you brought up the fact that you wonder if it'll put in jeopardy the Broadway version. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know. Uh, well, the irony is, you know, we are still waiting on the live action Mulan, which got pushed back from March now to July 24th. But there's already talk of, well, again, early development on Mulan 2. Right. Um, Will Mushu finally get his revenge? <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right. As long as we're we're talking about unlikely sequels, the what did you think of the whole Space Jam? What first of all, what's the subtitle? A new legacy, Jim. Well, I first of all, I thought it was so funny because LeBron mm. debuted the logo on his Instagram, and the video was backwards. You couldn't actually <laughs> read the hat he was wearing. So then well. Warner Warner Brothers sent out another email that was like, here here's an actual video of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, we all know the first Space Jam is pretty terrible, so I'm hoping mm-hmm. for more with this one. But, uh, yeah, you're right. It does look very Space Mountain-y, the logo. Uh, yeah, I wonder if that's going to make it all the way through to release. Can you, I know we talked about this off air. Can you talk at all about, was it? What LeBron showed at a party? Yes, 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 yes. So, yeah, okay. he it was like a rap party or something, mm-hmm. and he showed these images that contained what appears to be the Joker, Pennywise, Voldemort, the mask, the Jim Carrey, the mask, and Jim is mm-hmm. coming back, apparently, to do the voice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm obsessed with Space Jam 2 and how bizarre it's going to be. Um, hmm. But, you know, speaking of ILM, they're the ones handling the animation this time. So okay. it'll be very interesting. You know, and again, it's interesting because we were just talking about Mulan and the original uh, Mulan from, from 98 was co-directed by Tony Bancroft. And it turns out, uh, I think he announced on his Twitter feed back in January that he's actually uh, animating on this film. So yeah. uh, Space Jam 2, or excuse me, Space Jam, A New Legacy. Uh, so, uh, again, I'm always happy to have him animating again. But I want to see this. But we still have a release date of July 16th, 2021. Counting okay. down the days, Jim. I'm counting down the days. All right. Well, speaking of counting down, we've talked previously about the Olafs at home. And there were supposed to be 20 of them. And I guess the final one 
sound or sounds uh, dropped this past Friday. Well, there were two that dropped on Friday. Did you see the other one, Jim? I did not. Is this there, the hand drawn? So, yeah, that, this is the, one of them was hand drawn on Friday. So I thought okay. both were really cute. I loved sounds. Okay. Um, yeah, but the other one is really cute. Just look on Gad's Twitter, or I'll find okay. it and send it to you. Okay, but weren't there supposed to be two hand drawn? I mean, were, yeah, I, I reached out to Disney Animation, and they they basically said that the second hand drawn, which was announced in an EW, um, mm-hmm. they just didn't have time to do it. That the animator is being pulled in a number of different directions, and um, mm-hmm. they just didn't have the time. So okay. sorry, maybe. Well, I- Maybe in the winter when this thing comes back um, and we're all stuck inside again. (laughs) Oh, good. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Stay positive, Jim. Stay positive. (laughs) Okay. Before we move on here, I just want to thank Hiram Osmond, who basically wrote Hurt on this with a a lot of other very talented people at Disney. And likewise, Josh, who evidently recorded all of these little bits of dialogue and that sort of thing at his home. He he says while wearing a mock turtleneck, so we'll have to take his word on that one. Okay. No. I mean, okay. So there was supposed to be two hand drawn. There, there, one hand drawn. I mean, that's a, a hard reality of the world of animation. You make a plan, and situations change. And, and in fact, well, when we get back, we're going to talk about what happened with poor Kevin Lima and the monkeys of Mumbai. Before we get to Kevin his monkeys, I wanted to take a minute to talk about Finn the human and Jake the dog. Never heard of him, Jim. Never heard of him. <laughs> okay. So, all right. Adventure Time, the series, wrapped its 10-season run on Cartoon Network uh, back on September 2018. I want to say you and I enjoyed it. That was basically an hour-long finale, if I remember correctly. What a great episode. Yeah. I cannot believe that was in 2018. That is blowing my mind, Jim. Well, time moves fast, except, of course, in April of 2020. Which, yeah, did you did you see that there's a T-shirt out there that 2020 is a special leap year that, you know, February had 29 days and, you know, March had 31 and April had 3,000, you know. Um, <laughs> so, but anyway, so again, Finn and Jake are back in... Adventure Time, Distant Lands, which, so this is four hour-long specials, right? Yeah, it was described as a mini-series, but it looks like they're pretty different, each one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to it. Is, is there any one out of the, the four that you're uh, especially looking Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I love BMO. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's got his own episode, or it mm-hmm. has got its own episode. I don't know if we gender a uh, video game console computer. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm very into this Marceline and Princess Bubblegum episode. Sounds great. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. I mean, who doesn't want more Adventure Time in their life, Jim? No doubt. No doubt. Supposedly, this goes live when HBO Max goes live on uh, May 27th. But if you can't wait till then for some new animation, you should pivot over to Hulu, where on May 12th we get Crossing Swords, which I've never quite associated adult humor with preschool toys. Yeah, they're like, it's a stop-motion show where it's set in the medieval kind of fantasy world, and they're little wooden preschool blocks essentially yeah yeah but and but there's full frontal nudity and and violence <laughs> and everything else 
I don't know. I, you know, I, I much like like uh, I'm I'm a again. I hate to play favorites, but I love what the guys at Stupid Buddies do. So it's just sort of like you know, please go watch this. I I want fifteen hundred seasons of Robot Chicken if possible. But again, you know, adult humor and preschool toys. Sometimes the best movies come out of a, a weird mix of elements, and which brings us now to Monkeys of Mumbai, which was supposed to be a Bollywood musical by way of, I guess, Mumbai actually does have an infestation of of monkeys. Well, did you ever see Monkey Kingdom, the Disney nature movie? Oh. <gasps> I did not. Okay, so, well, it's on. It's on um, Disney Plus. It, it's sort of. It, it's. I don't know if it's Mumbai, but it is. Um, mm-hmm. It's really interesting the way that these monkeys kind of coexist mm-hmm. with humans, and they're infesting like ancient shrines, and mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. really. It's it, it's very visually striking. You know, I'm a big fan of all the sort of Disney nature movies, but um, sure, yeah, yeah. It, it's really cool. So if you want to get kind of an idea of, of what this might have been like. Mm-hmm. Um, in real life, watch watch that documentary. Okay. Well, and of course, Drew and I have talked about Kevin Lima relatively recently here on Fine Tuning. In fact, Drew wrote that wonderful piece about the 25th anniversary of the Goofy movie. Uh, and you actually got to talk with Kevin as part of that, right? I did, or? but it, we were talking Goofy, Jim. We, we had no time for mm-hmm. Monkeys of Mumbai. But. Well, that's what's kind of interesting is that on the heels of of a goofy movie and people talking about it 25 years later. Do you want to read what Kevin tweeted out on April 18th of (laughs) of this year? I've got to find it. But basically he said, I'll paraphrase Jim. How about that? Okay. Uh, He said, I have been screwed over twice in my career, (laughs) basically right by, by Jeffrey Katzenberg. The first was with goofy movie, which I talked about in my piece that he, Mm -hmm. he kind of, it was a Jeffrey Katzenberg passion project for some reason. Mm -hmm. And when he left, all the kind of momentum went, went out of its sales and, you know, Mm -hmm. it got pushed back and sort of opened without ceremony. And he said the second time Mm -hmm. I was screwed was with monkeys of Mumbai when Jeffrey left DreamWorks and left a number of projects, including monkeys of Mumbai high and dry. And you and I, I mean, we were talking before the show, just how many DreamWorks projects just evaporated overnight. And it is just such a tragedy. Well, I mean, take, for example, BOO, the the Bureau of Otherworldly Operations, I think. Okay. And and as I understand it, they were inches away from being done with that. And and they had Melissa McCarthy as a voice. And I want to say Dan Aykroyd as well. By the way, you sent me along a list of the canceled project, The Pig Scrolls? What is The Pig Scrolls? Jim, I can't get into it. This is a kid's show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, they were all, yeah, what else? The, the Larkin. 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 Yeah, which, which, which became a really mediocre short film. It did, but they had done all the work on the rigs and the backgrounds and that sort of thing. So they wanted to get something out of it. But But basically what happened here, folks, was that April of 2016 – is when, let's be honest, Jeffrey Katzenberg had been looking to sell DreamWorks Animation for a number of years prior to this, but but finally set it up th- that the company would be purchased by Universal. And we've talked at length on other shows about how now uh, DreamWorks, or, or excuse me, yeah, DreamWorks Animation is part of the Universal family, along with Illuminations Entertainment. And just last week, you were we talk about the, how the Lego films have now uh, made their home in Universal. 
But supposedly, the way this worked is Universal was mostly interested in the already proven IP, the Shreks, the Puss in Boots, the uh, well Trolls, and Secret Life of Pets, and anything else was kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And this is the thing with Monkeys in Mumbai. It was it was two and a half years in development at that point. In fact, I want to say they had just started animation. Yeah. Um, but if you go on Kevin's Twitter, mm-hmm. he lays out the whole story. Which oh, is he amazing. does. It does. Do you want to do the story or? Yeah, I mean, it, it seemed. And correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, because I was mm-hmm. sort of reading this backwards. I didn't know he had a Twitter until you told me about it. Mm-hmm. So I, I was sort of reading it backwards. But it, it seemed to be about two monkeys that were their brothers, and they're living on yep. the streets of Mumbai, mm-hmm. and they they find their way into a movie theater, and are convinced that the they're convinced that the movie is like a, a deity or something. Yeah, the uh, yeah. Huanmen, I want to say, the, the Indian deity. Uh, but yeah, evidently they're in the movie theater because they're, they're basically eating the snacks off the floor. Right. And they, they see this movie with the monkey god. I guess it's the the brother whose name is Dapu. He's the, the ultimate optimist. And that's the thing. He just sort of embraces this character. and But at the same time, this has... Songs that are written by Stephen Schwartz. In fact, you know, for example, in at least one iteration of the movie, the the brothers are making their way home through the streets of Mumbai, and they go into the territory of a, another group of monkeys, and it looks like a battle is going to take place, and suddenly it's a dance battle. It becomes this giant Bollywood production number. And, well, uh, and and you know who was doing the score was A.R. Rahman, who won the Oscar for the score for uh, Slumdog Millionaire. So. Yeah. And, and this is the thing. If you go to Kevin Lima's Twitter feed, he's been placing over like the last two weeks, he's been putting up all of this amazing concept art. And you just look at this stuff and it's like, I want to see this movie now. It had such startling design, a very appealing take on the characters and a great color palette and, and the whole notion of, of the very thing you were talking about with the the Disney nature, you know, monkeys in the city thing. This weird, wonderful disconnect, you know, between these animals in the city. And in fact, there's one great piece of concept art where the two brothers are basically trying to buy a car that is, you know, they're flattened against the wall. And there's that, that just this little piece of space that they're trying to wiggle through. Again, it just looks like a hugely appealing project. But to hear Kevin tell the story that when it got shelved, you know, he was given permission to walk it around to other studios. And so he'd take the art, he'd take the music, you know, he'd, he'd do the pitch and everybody would go, oh, you know, this looks like a hit. And then he'd mention uh, the kicker that because DreamWorks evidently was allowed to write off the cost of developing the film on their taxes, the only way that any new production company could pick that up, you know, could pick up the film and, and proceed with it was if they, they basically paid back the government for the write-off. And th- we were talking tens of millions of dollars. That, that's what uh, DreamWorks accountants had, had decided, you know, this is what we're going to say, what we spent on the film. And that was the deal breaker. Everybody, you know, would just hear that number and it's like, look, this looks like it's a wonderful film, but, 
you know, I can't spend that much money up front and let alone after that come up with the actual money to then produce the film. So just a heartbreaker. A lot. A lot. There's a lot. So many of those movies. And then we don't even know really what DreamWorks is up to beyond the next couple of years. And it's you you hope that one of these will come back from the dead. But it doesn't Mm -hmm. seem doesn't seem likely, Jim. Well, you know, the last thing, Chris Malariandri, uh, the, the gentleman who's in charge of Illuminations, who's now basically the, for lack of a better term, the, you know, remember when John Lasseter was sort of the animation grand poobah for both Disney and Pixar? Right. Uh, uh, Chris is evidently now in that same role for DreamWorks Animation and Illumination Entertainment. And when he was talking um, about the DreamWorks Animation Acquisition, they were talking about, we want to make another Shrek movie. We want to bring back the original voice talent to do another film. And I just it just kind of kills me that it's like, here was this. This was a, a brand new thing they could have turned the key on. And it's like, no, we want to go back to that. Well, Bob you know. Perchetti, who one of the guys that directed the Spider-Verse, is doing the Puss in Boots too, Jim, so... Okay. Well, I, <laughs> because of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, as good as it was, I you know I'll give that one a pass. Okay. You know that that okay. you know. So anyway, but seriously, we we need to to do a deep dive on this. You know, I mean, especially Boo. I just remember so much art, so much stuff coming out. Seth from Rogen that. was in it. Remember that? Yeah. And then there's yeah. the, sh- the Shadow. We could do a whole thing about the Shadow movie. Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, well, we'll circle around to those movies in a future podcast. For, but first, folks, we have to finish our Patreon thing. Sorry you missed it. But by the way, Drew, did I tell you we've already gotten fan mail on the show? I saw that. I saw yeah. that. People are ready for it, Jim. We got to do it. I know. I know. This, this is my fault, folks. We're going to be working on it this week, so hang on. You know, we'll be episode one. In fact, again, back to Jeffrey Katzenberg and Steven Spielberg, their dive restaurant. Uh, but yeah, if you folks have memories of this, please pass them along. We'll incorporate them in the show. Uh, in the meantime, Drew, we'll, you know, while they're waiting on that from us, what's up over with Light the Fuse? Well, we're trying to get somebody for our 100th episode, Jim. I don't know who we're getting, but we're trying very hard. Uh, this week, we're going through all the video games of the, based on the franchise, so that's kind of fun. And then we've got a bunch of great guests through, like, August, I, I want to say. So as long as we can nail down somebody for the 100th. I, I wonder Desperate, who Jim. Oh, desperate yeah. at this point. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, that's... <laughs> I wonder who that could be. <laughs> All right. Well, and and on our side of the street, uh, we of course have a Disney Dish with Lentesta. We have, uh, of course, looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z. And I, I would imagine he and I are both going to be waiting into the Disney Gallery, the Mandalorian thing. Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams, the gentleman who edits a lot of the podcasts here. Uh, likewise, Universal Joint. In fact, Nancy is editing an episode of that even as we speak here. And just this past Sunday, uh, Michelle Valladolid and I recorded a, a brand new I Want That. And oh, thank hopefully God, that'll... Jim. Thank God. I know. <laughs> the, our, our long national nightmare is over. Yeah. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, tell you what, folks. If you could do Drew and myself a favor, if you could head on over to iTunes and not only rate and recommend fine-tuning, but also rate and recommend Light the Fuse because – I can't. There's so many great stories on that show. Also, if you really, really, really what you like, what you're listening to here, if you could head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. 
And Drew, social media-wise, where can folks find you? Uh, Drew Tailored, like the tailored uh, suit. Um, mm-hmm. Find me on, on social media there. And I wanted to tell you, Jim, one of our listeners on Fine Tuning became a Patreon mm-hmm. uh, subscriber on Light the Fuse. So, you know, everything's connected, Jim, is all I got to say. There, there we go. So happy to hear that. That's cool. Okay, Jim Hill Media side, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, again, as Jim Hill Media, and on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. And I guess that's going to do it for this week. And, you know, unless, of course, another fist fight breaks out between Universal and AMC theaters, and then we'll be back. So. <laughs> but until the next time, thanks for listening.